and welcome to Project Zion Podcast. This is your host, Robin Linkhart, and today our guest is a well-known voice on Project Zion Podcast because she has been one of our hosts from the very beginning of this podcast. Yes, you're right, the one and only Karen Peter, whom we lovingly refer to as Karen, the snarky one. Hello, Karen. Welcome. Hello, Robin. I'm not sure who gave me that title, but um, I've heard it used as I meet people around the church. (laughs) I love how snacky you are. And the ones who don't love it just don't speak to me. So we're good. (laughs) Well, you are no stranger to Project Zion podcast, as I just said, but we don't often get to hear about you. So let's do that now. Please give our listeners a high level intro to you. So Robin, you and I have done these these recordings before, these episodes before, where you have said, hey, Karen, would you mind doing an episode about, and I have done some of this, and so I'm sure our listeners have heard some things. I'll try not to be repetitive. So I live in Olympia, Washington, which is on the western side of Washington, about halfway between the mountains and the ocean, which is a perfect place to be. I live here with my spouse, Ray, and a cat and a dog at this point in our life. We have grown children who have families of their own. And I uh, serve in the office of 70 in Community of Christ. And I have been involved for many years with Seeker Ministries with you, Robin. And you are the person I blame for my longstanding uh, tenure with Project Zion Podcast. <laughs> As you know, I didn't want to do this when we started. So, um, but it's turned out to be a blessing. And so that gives you a high level. Last year, I was invited to participate in formation ministries for the church, specifically in worship ministries. And recently, I was elected to the uh, serve as the senior president of 70, which I believe is the reason for this interview. Thank you, Karen. I want to go deeper now. Tell us your story. Like, where did you grow up? What was life like for you? What were your interests and hobbies? And in the middle of all of that, where was God and faith? So I have shared before that my very early years were were spent with my family being part of what at that time was called a Zionic living experiment. And theirs was called the project. And what, what it was, was a bunch of families went together. Some land was purchased. They all built homes adjacent to one another in kind of a communal capacity. Um, families uh, shared things together. We shared birthdays parties and meals and gardening and raising animals and that kind of thing together in this. And those are my very earliest memories, especially just in general, the church was everything. It was our neighbors. It was our household. It was where we went um, on Sunday. It was our social life. And even after that project ended, the church still, my entire growing up was kind of central. I'm part of a large group of kids who were in youth groups in the 70s, 1970s. And it was a huge bunch of people because of the baby boom and because of the post-war years. It was kind of the um, the golden years, if you will, for youth ministry in the life of the church, just because of the simple amount of people involved. And so all of my friends 
were um, friends from church from around the greater Seattle area. But when I was growing up, I I was recently reminded sharing when I became a president of 70 that I was the kid who would sit at the dining room table on Sunday afternoons with my dad and the other men from the church and whoever the guest minister had been while my mom and the women uh, made a, a meal for Sunday dinner. And after dinner, I would try to make myself as small as possible or as unseen as possible so that I could stay and listen. Um, I was fascinated with what was being talked about, which was church and religion and faith and scripture and all of those things were very um, important to me. And because I was a reader and have always been a reader, I would read everything I could that my parents had about church, including much that was in those was it eight or nine, I don't know, huge church history volumes. They were blue and the font was probably like a a six point font. It was so tiny. And I would read in there. I just read um, everything. And it, it all interested me as well as many other things. Being a reader, you go into all kinds of worlds because you can enter them through the covers of a book. So God to me was um, was just the it, it was the air I breathed. Uh, if you want to use that metaphor, or the water I swam in. It was it was what life was at that time growing up. It wasn't until a little bit later, and in fact, after I graduated from high school, that I walked away from the church and went, I don't think this is going to work for me, and spent several years not participating in the life of the church for uh, multiple reasons, but some of them having to do with gender inequality, some of them having to do with rebelliousness, <laughs> some of them having to do with boredom with what church um, had become. But anyway, I did. So what were some of your interests and hobbies? During oh, growing years? up? Oh, my yeah. goodness. We, I was horse crazy, of course. So when I was little, I picked berries every summer to earn money to buy a Shetland pony and then finally a horse and, and then I worked and babysat to feed it and <laughs> do all the things you have to do to pay for when you have animals. But uh, horses and music were fascinating to me. And um, yeah, that was where all my money went. It went to buy uh, albums, old people. You know what those are. Young people are just beginning to rediscover those. But those big black discs that you played the turntable with a little needle. I would buy those and feed my horse. Those were my hobbies. That's fascinating. I never owned a horse. In fact, I rarely rode a horse, but there were so many horse centered shows on TV, like National Velvet, My Friend Flicka, Fury. I mean, it was like a horse was like, oh my gosh, if I got old, they have a horse. <laughs> you moved too much to have a horse. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> my parents still live in that same house that they built as part of that Zionic Living Project in the late 50s. That's awesome. Tell us about college and starting your professional career and where that took you eventually in ministry. So I married at 19. So I hadn't been out of school very long. And so college for a long time was just a class here and there to pick up when I could afford it. And I didn't seriously apply myself to actually finish until much, much later in life. But like I said, I had left 
church participation as a young adult, and I became a very competent heathen. And um, I still maintain some of those heathen qualities and capacities. <laughs> I find them helpful in uh, my life and ministry. But after several years, I came back to participation in the church, and I came back with my son as a toddler and my reluctant spouse at that time in tow with me, which was difficult because he had married somebody who didn't participate in in a church or a church life. And then he ended up with this wife who became quite churchy. So those were very tumultuous years and ended um, after 17 years in divorce. And um, th- that was like the precursor to me trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I had a lot of different places of employment throughout those years. But right before my first husband and I divorced, I had become um, a sign language interpreter for deaf and hearing impaired students at the local school district, and then finally a co-op. And that that is what I thought I would do for the rest of my life, was that. And I have my first tattoo, which is an ASL, I love you sign with flowers, I got at that time. Because I was ordained to 70 about the same time. It was like, what should I do to celebrate? Oh, I know. I will get a tattoo. And that's what I did. Okay. So you're a 70 with an I love you tattoo. Mm-hmm. How, so tell us how you got into or, ordained ministry. <laughs> Married at 19. Um, a, an accomplished heathen. And mm-hmm. now you're a 70 with a... Yeah, I love you. Yeah. too. I think there's a lot of people around me who wondered the same thing at <laughs> that period of time. <laughs> so um, I kind of fell into it. I was ordained to 70. And at that time, there were no, either no other 70 in the, in the area where I lived, or maybe one who, who moved after a while. And so I participated by going around the, at that time, the stake and sharing in congregational life and just started to become more known. But also at that time, I was, I am a natural inviter. And so I would meet people and figure out things that we could do together that would both bless the church and, and hopefully have an impact on the individuals who are participating and that was just always a natural part of my life, which is why I ended up being ordained a 70. And then I just tried to transfer that into a bigger picture, into helping congregations and helping others um, learn to invite and learn to network with people. And it was during that time that I became kind of n- known. So I, I'm... I'm hesitating here because I'm not sure how much I want to share on that's recorded, but I became known around the area and um, with anybody with kind of a a patchy background, I became known to some people in a positive way and became known to some people in a not so positive way. And one of those people who had a not so positive perspective on me was the stake president, and um, and so I really tried to, like, be upright and uh, and present a, a, a stable perspective so that I could be trusted to do things in the area where I served in ministry. 
Now that has a really good ending because I did and I was, and I also married that person later, which shocked a number of people <laughs> because he didn't have the most positive uh, impression of me when I started out. And he was an appointee, which meant he was a full-time minister with the church. And I started traveling with him and just it became natural to do that and to do things in ministry. And so when, uh, um, when an opportunity came for me to be employed part-time in a local area, I, I accepted that. And that happened to be right before the church entered into what was called T2000 or Transformation 2000, where they hired a bunch of people because we had um, all this capacity at the time. And I was one of the people that was hired in that and stayed, became what they called a field minister uh, locally and then in mission center life and then went under appointment in 2004 and that was about the same time I was in community of Christ seminary and graduated that in 2006 so it wasn't something that I planned on it was something I literally just started doing fell into it and thought I maybe would do it for a few years and go on to something else and I never went on to something else so yeah, this is a really interesting journey. And as you're sharing your story, the backdrop, because you talked about stake president. So we were with districts and stakes and regions. That's how we were organized as congregations. And then your area support structure, which would either be the district or the stake. Uh, around the time um, you go under appointment, 2004, it was in 2003 was kind of the beginning launching officially of going into a mission center uh, way of organizing ourselves, no longer had stake presidents or district presidents, but had mission center presidents, officers, financial officer, et cetera. Uh, and T2000 unfolds, which was a big thing. And a lot mm -hmm. of people like yourself and like myself who were kind of on emerging leaders, not appointees, but we, Many of us got swept up into that. Um, okay, you're one that we think could do this, and and away we went. That that was a wild time in the life of the church. So 2004, you are continuing in the office of 70, and you are an appointee, which is um, like that's like really official uh, working yes, for the it, church. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, it's official like handcuffs. <laughs> 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 yeah. We had all these tiers of, um, you know, yeah. field minister, field specialist, uh, but appointee, yeah. which we no longer use that nomenclature mm -hmm. pointy anymore. Okay. So there's a, a chapter of change. Um, between 2004 and being a 70 and mm -hmm. recently at this world conference being set apart as the senior president of 70. So fill in that history for us. And then we want to go deep into the historic moment of what is happening now. <laughs> so I was ordained to 70 and it was in 95, 1995 and in my area where I lived and served in that area. After I married Ray, I served as a as a 70, as many of us did, self-sustaining. And then I became what was called a missionary coordinator in a stake. And so my job was to coordinate mission, to help congregations figure out what they wanted to do missionally, although we didn't use 
that word at the time. And, and then this phone call happened and Robin, I know you got one about the same time. And I was serving as a missionary coordinator in a mission center. And I was called to see if I would be willing to serve in a, in a new role called a field missionary coordinator. So instead of working in one mission center, it would be working in all the mission centers in a certain field. And so I was assigned to the Southern field with Linda Booth was my apostle at the time. And I would travel that field with her and sometimes on my own and uh, in fact, often on my own in my car with maps. This was before <laughs> Garmin and, and Google with maps driving around the, the southern part of the USA, meeting people and trying to understand context of the southern part of the USA and how I might be most helpful to people who are trying to engage in mission in that part of the world. And then in 2010, Inspired Council was brought to the church to align the the members of the count of the Council of Presidents of 70 with the members of the Council of 12, and they needed more presidents of 70. They only had seven uh, normally. That was historical and based on the Doctrine and Covenants. And so they expanded that. And so some of us, again, were swept up into that. We had been serving as field missionary coordinators and were asked to become presidents of 70. And so in 2010, I did that as well and have served on the Council of Presidents of 70 ever since that time, which 13 years seems a lot longer than what it actually felt lived. It feels like yesterday that happened, but um, that was 2010. Wow. And I have, I have enjoyed serving um, on the council of presidents of 70. It wasn't again, something I anticipated doing, but I did. And, and then this last conference, uh, John White, who had been senior president of 70, as long as I'd been on the council, he had retired from full-time employment, several years ago, but he had stayed on as senior president in a volunteer capacity, and he was going to leave that position. And so the council was at a point where it needed to select a new senior president. And again, that's scriptural from the Doctrine and Covenants that the council selects its presiding officer, as does the council at 12, select their own presiding officer. And I was elected to serve in that capacity. And so as of conference uh, of 2023, I, I serve in that role as well. So that's where we are. That this is a historic moment in the life of the church because you are the first woman who has ever been selected to serve as a senior president of 70. Um, and for those who don't know what the senior president of 70 does or how one is chosen. Can you go a little deeper and give us a quick tutorial? Sure. So let's talk about how one is chosen. The members of the Council of Presidents of 70 elect, and it was an anonymous election done with a software program online. They elect the person that they want to serve as the senior president and preside over the council. Um, the language of it is very uncomfortable for me because it sounds archaic to me to have 
the council selects its presiding officer to preside over the council when the council is in session, those kinds of things. And it, it almost feels like it doesn't fit where we are, but that's what it is. It was an, it was an anonymous election done online. And I was actually driving to world conference um, in late March. So I could be there for the work that needed to be done to prepare for the conference worships while that election was taking place. And because I was secretary of the council at that time, I was the one sending out the information about the process and what was going to happen. And, and so the question was raised, if, if you are willing to serve, then you could put your name in to be uh, considered. And I struggled with that for a long time. And then finally at the last minute decided to do that. And so I'm in my car driving, I don't know, across Nebraska, I think, when the vote was taken. And then I was notified by John White, who had received the results that I had been elected. And so what does that mean? At that point, I really wasn't sure. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> I mean, I'd been around John for a number of years. I'd served as a secretary for a couple of years, but I didn't know. There's a piece of paper. There's actually a, like a little position description for it. And it talks about it. So I'll give you the the highlights here. The senior president presides when the council meets. So prepares the agenda, um, runs the meetings, those kinds of things. And that's one of its its main uh, tasks to do. But the, the senior president also serves as representative of the Council of Presidents of Seventy on the World Church Leadership Council and um, the World Church Finance Board, which I have not yet experienced, but I will this week. So I participated in the World Church Leadership Council meetings last week. The senior president also manages the process of the calls to the Office of 70. Each quorum president handles those calls in their quorum, but they all come into the office of the senior president of 70 just to handle the the managing of the files and making sure that everything happens as it's supposed to be so that that call moves forward. And then the senior president offers um, support to the presidents of 70 and um, also to the 70 in the field. So I'll be getting to know more 70 in the field that I do not yet know as I continue on in this role. And correct me if I'm wrong, Karen, because um, I've never seen that that paragraph of the job description, but having served on the Council of Presidents of 70 for six years, have had exposure. My understanding is the senior president of 70 has their own quorum assignment, but they also have the whole globe as a whole yeah. um, as part of that. And I remember John being very intentional in the past of having visiting in person mm -hmm. different areas far beyond, you know, his specific yeah. quorum that he served as president. Is that continuing to be part of the role? It is. I met with uh, members of the first presidency uh, after conference and we talked about some of these things and they shared different kind of expectations and things with me. And so, yes, getting to know the different areas of the church and getting to know people and specifically 70 in those areas is part of the role. And and we'll figure out how to do that as we continue on. But it, it is a it is a role that is beyond my own quorum that I preside over. So I'm 
I'm the quorum president for the Western and North Central Quorum, which includes your field and Chandra Newcomb's field on the West Coast. And so I, I will participate as a quorum president there, but I'm also a broader capacity um, participating in uh, with other presidents of 70 in their fields. So I think part of what I'm hearing you say as you um, ran through the descriptor sentences that were penned decades ago <laughs> and, and feeling a sense of disconnect also is part of this next question because the context and culture of our world has so drastically changed in recent years, in our lifetime, I would say we have seen yeah. dramatic changes. And your role as a key leader of mission in the church, the, the Council of Presidents of 70, are really on the cutting edge of understanding and interpreting what these changes are and then trying to find ways to connect in very relevant, meaningful ways with the needs of the world and the diverse populations of the world. And in the middle of that, um, we're at this historic moment with the Council of Presidents of 70, which is expanding the gender diversity of the council and the roles of that. So how do you see this new chapter of the council and, and changing things in the future? I mean, what impact do you see or you have you already begun to see in recent years and now it's unfolding more? So I think that's probably more the case, Robin, the latter is that I have, as many of us have had significant exposure to the changing trends in the world, especially as we focus on mission. The Council of Presidents of 70 are called to be in conversation with the Council of 12 about mission and about opportunities. Um, our job as 70 is to be forerunners. So to go out into areas where, where Christ's peace has not yet been able to take root and to find ways to kind of till up that soil and help that happen so that, so that people can flourish in wholeness and centeredness and uh, spiritual wholeness as well as physical wholeness and, and the wholeness of justice. So I see this kind of this place that we are right now in the life of the church as really an interesting way to face the future because the presidents of 70, the council was the first council to have diverse leaders. The first council to have a woman as a leader, first council to have a person of color as a leader, um, that kind of thing. And, and then it, it was like, then it just went whoosh and we were able to experience some of that in the other leadings forums and councils of the church. But this is the first time that the council has had a female as a senior president. And so I'm really interested in, in what that means and how that, how we're going to live into that, because it's not just me. We have a female president of the council of 12 and we have females in the first presidency and we have an equal balance of males and females in the council of 12 and a female presiding evangelist female in the presiding bishopric. So it's a new world for my generation of women and women younger than me to be at that place where it's more equitable than 
it probably has ever been in the life of the church. And I think women see that differently than men do. At least that's been my experience as been in conversations about that. And so I think that drives mission in a different way. So how has this new chapter in your ongoing adventure with God as a disciple and a minister of Jesus Christ changed things for you? Well, for one thing, talking about leadership is really difficult for me, especially in the life of the church, because leadership, in my mind, kind of has two divergent paths. There's leadership that toes the line and there's leadership that pushes the boundaries. And so for me, it's kind of walking in between those two um, divergent paths to see where that goes. But I sense a call to participate with the council in a way that that helps lead us into what is next for us. How do we take what what I think is a rather antiquated structure, the way that the council is is formed, the way it's peopled, the way it serves? How do we take that structure and kind of morph it a little bit to to truly become a blessing to the church and to the world in the next part of our journey. It has at some times felt insular to me and not as not not as outgoing as I would like to see it be, not the tentacles out there changing and growing and digging into the opportunities that are available to us, even at this point in time with limited resources and limited staff. So for me, it's it's the idea of how do we take this rather maybe outdated uh, model and make it live and breathe vibrantly again to really make a difference in the world and in the life of the church. And being female growing up at a time when when only men served in leadership or even in priesthood, um, I think my perspective from looking from the outside in growing up helps shape what I think is important and I hope helps me serve as kind of a, a traffic arrow in different ways, pointing in different ways on where some possibilities exist that maybe we didn't look at before or didn't look at in the same way before. What are your hopes for the church of the future? How do you see God moving in the world in ways that expand us and our understanding of God's vision for all creation? Well, my my hope is that we will truly become a people who value value diversity and behave in an equitable manner and treat our brothers and sisters around the world with not just respect, but um, honor their giftedness and their leadership and their insight as just as valuable as our own. And I think that's hard for a lot of Americans to kind of wrap our heads around that 
we don't always have the best answers or the clearest answers or even the most righteous answers. We often have to receive those from others. And that's that's hard for us to do as kind of an egocentric population. And so my hope is that the church can lead the way in that and model that in helpful ways. But also I see the future as this kind of unlimited opportunity to create new things, to recreate things, to to pivot, to flex, to bend, to grow, whatever words you want to use to kind of show our ability to speak to what is happening in the now. And I think the restoration has always tried to do that. It's always tried to speak to its culture and its context. And I think I was looking outside this morning at my backyard and we have a honeysuckle vine and it is just going crazy at this time of year. And it's weaving in and out of the fence at the back of our yard and grasping onto anything it can to take hold and get higher. And I think it's kind of like that. It's like all of these different uh, pieces of it going out to, to search for the climate, the context, the water, the air, the sun, whatever it needs to bring forth those beautiful uh, fragrant blossoms, which in this analogy would be spiritual renewal and wholeness and justice and peace. So I think that's what I see. I don't know where it's going. I don't think any of us do, but I do think that the journey will be one of, of really unlimited opportunity in this new day. I love that image in the house we had before this. It was a very old house in this town at cinder block house. And out the back door was this amazing honeysuckle vine. And I had a trellis up there, but it just went everywhere. Not just the trellis and the scent of that. I'm going to use this, this image for a long time, Karen. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And, so in speaking of the new ways of becoming and <laughs> bending and flexing and stretching and growing, you are doing a new series with 70 Blake Smith called Coffee to Go. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how is it helping stretch us as a people, uh, as members, friends and seekers, as we follow Jesus into the future? So one of the things I've recognized, Robin, maybe in my own life and study, is that often we separate our church life and maybe even our religious life kind of away from our secular, from our regular job, <laughs> from our regular life. And um, and this coffee to go is a way to kind of to kind of look at that separation and go, why am I doing that? Why is that over here? And I'm on this other side, or even um, I read scripture on Sunday. Maybe I read it in the daily bread and I set it aside, but I never connect. What does this have to do with me? I may even read it and say, I don't even, I don't even think this has anything to do with me and just set it down over there. And so this series is meant to answer the question, why does it even matter? Um, we're not biblical literalists in community of Christ. We do not go around saying the Bible has all the answers. Everything you need to know is here in God's word. We don't do that. 
um, that's not a healthy way to look at scripture and it's not a just way to look at scripture. But if we're not going to do that, if we're not, if all we're going to say is, no, we're not that, we haven't moved over to then what are we? And what are we are people who can read scripture and live in the cycles of scripture and church life and the life of the lectionary and say, how do I live this scripture rather than believe this scripture? And I think that's what Coffee to Go is trying to do. It's trying to help us live in the moment. Each week, we read the lectionary scripture for the day out of the Gospels, and we try to answer the question, why does this even matter in my life today? And we've looked at it as if we're on this journey with Jesus, where's Jesus today? And where am I in relationship to what Jesus is doing and saying today? So it's a new way of looking at the lectionary scriptures, especially for Project Zion. It's not meant to be super scripturally um, ed- educational, although it is. But it, it's meant to say, what can I do this week? What can I think this week? What can I say this week that will bring the scripture to, to fruition in my life? to make it real in my life. So we're working on those. The and, first were kind of, the first were kind of rough, I'll admit. So I haven't started a new series in a while and I kind of have my own snarkiness, as you mentioned that I do in my his, church history ones, because who wouldn't, I mean, it's church history. It deserves a little snark, but this is different. I don't want to be quite as snarky in this because I want, I want very much for people to hear what Jesus is doing and why that's important for me to know this week. And what does that mean for me this week? So I'm trying to tone it down. So it's been a little <laughs> rough. <laughs> well, it's, it's a delightful new series and um, it really draws the listener into the story and a sense of being right there with Jesus and understanding what's happening and, and how, grasp how does this connect with my life Mm -hmm. and with what's going on for me it can connect to anybody and I love the fact that it posts every Sunday morning so whether you're in church or not that Sunday morning you can listen to it and um, it gives you grab your cup of coffee and be ready to go because you're on the journey with Jesus and it also posts on important days during the Christian calendar can you kind of give us an overview of when that might be So it is every Sunday that we post, but we also post like in Holy Week, we did Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And so um, even though some things don't fall on Sunday, Ash Wednesday, Epiphany, six years out of seven doesn't fall on a Sunday and um, All Saints Day. There are different different holy days or different feast days that we'll post uh, additional coffee to goes. In fact, my brain was just going yet. Yeah, I'm hoping we even do one for some feasts or holy days that we don't recognize on, on the community of Christ liturgical calendar, but there are some fun ones out there that will, that will mention. I think we got to mention the St. Patrick in during March. I think <laughs> even though we don't actually acknowledge St. Patrick's feast day, um, every kid in school does. So let's help them know why and why. Right, not. right. Yeah. Well, it does have a sense of ecumenical interfaith yeah. awareness throughout the series and, and embraces this uh, 
calendar rhythm of life, you know, the Christian calendar and rhythms, which were lived in context in a real physical world where seasons change, regardless of where you are, there's different times a year look different outside our windows. Well, and we can get really caught up in just living in the portion of our Christian life and journey that we like, or that makes us most comfortable and avoid the parts we don't like. You know, if it's up to me, I don't like Monday, Thursday. I don't like a good Friday and I don't like Holy Saturday. I'd much rather go from Palm Sunday to Easter because that's a way (laughs) easier story. But that's not the story. And so it's important for me to live in those other days as well. The the stretch of ordinary time post Pentecost, it's kind of like some uh, summer in the northern hemisphere. When school's out at summertime, there's no good holidays. You know, <laughs> once Fourth <laughs> of July is over, it's like, what do we look forward to now? And we can look at ordinary time that way and go, oh, there's no good stuff happening in there, but there is. It's it's wonderful stuff, and we're gonna look at it and coffee to go and get kind of excited about it. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being with us today, sharing more of your story with us and helping us understand this historic moment in the life of the church and how all of this is interconnected in our life of faith. If you would like to hear more from Karen, check out these Project Zion podcast series, Common Grounds, Cup of Joe, Hebrew, Shebrew, New Brew, and our latest edition, Coffee to Go. As always, a very special thanks to you, our listeners, for spending a portion of your day with us. This is your host, Robin Linkhart, and you are listening to Project Zion Podcast. Go out and make the world a better place. Take care. Bye-bye.